Welcome to The Better Build, a podcast that explores the world of software engineering leadership and the people who are shaping it. Let's get to the episode. Matthew, excited that we get this chance to talk. You've got a lot of great exposure to big enterprise early in your career, IBM, RBC, Merrill Lynch, et cetera. And then kind of did a nice switch into the startup world after that, joined the folks at Wattpad, what seemed to be pretty early. And for those that don't know, Wattpad is a massive online storytelling platform and community that exited, I believe it was in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. To Navir for a nice sum of cash and equity. So great story there. Yeah, I think it was $600 million. Yeah, great exits. From what I can see, the company has just continued to grow even after the acquisition. So amazing story. And you joined Muse. uh, That's right. You know, very different type of business. EEG powered sleep tracking meditation headband. So both software, hardware, startup, never easy to do, I'm sure. So I'm sure great experiences there. Yeah. And then about three years ago, you joined Blackheart as CTO. That's right. Actually, as of yesterday, it was my third anniversary. Nice. Amazing. Very, very appropriate. So happy anniversary for you and the Blackheart team over there. So great time to celebrate with the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Can you talk a little bit more or dive in a little bit deeper in, in terms of that experience at Muse? How is that experience for you in terms of shifting from an IC to a lead? What were some of the challenges that you faced and some of the learnings from that? Many challenges. And I'm so glad that my manager there, he was very patient and he offered me advice every step of the way. But some of the things, at least early on, I didn't realize that my job has transitioned to mm. becoming a more of a manager than an IC. And so at least in the early days of that tenure, I didn't feel very productive. Mm. And because up until that point, I've always equated productivity to writing code. But when I was maybe spending less than half of my time writing code and then spending all this time planning things, working on design, talking mm-hmm. to other teams in meetings, I just didn't feel very productive. Yeah, sometimes um, it doesn't feel like work, right? Compared to the other stuff. But it's exactly. it work and it's very impactful. Exactly. And I, I don't know, it felt a little demoralizing in the beginning. Uh, but then yeah. gradually I realized, hey, as projects get shipped, as features get shipped, I've, I realized, hey, I'm actually making an impact. So my advice here for anyone who's transitioning from an ISA to become a manager is realize that your job has changed. And so don't feel too down about it. Be able to adjust to that. I think the second piece was I was on the critical path of being an engineer. I was like, oh, let me take this part. But once I transitioned to being a manager, that's no longer appropriate because now the team is actually waiting for me to deliver on my tickets before the project can get shipped. So I learned to get out of the way pretty quickly. And then hiring was something that I didn't do extensively, not as a hiring manager before, before Muse. So just shadowing my manager at Muse shadowing how he does interviews, asking him questions around, oh, why did you ask that? Or what does this answer mean? And how do you tell if this person is who we're looking for? And so being able to shadow someone who's done it for a long time was definitely very beneficial for me. I think those are the main takeaways for me. I was looking at your LinkedIn and I saw that in 2006, you co-founded and have been leading 
a summer camp technology education program for yeah. 16 year olds. I'd love to talk about that. Super, super interested to learn more about that. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's actually a company that I started while I was back in university. I was lucky enough to be in a high school where I had access to computer engineering, computer science, and that really triggered my interest and to pursue a career in engineering. But at the time in high schools, those courses weren't as widely available as they are today. And mm -hmm. so I thought, why don't I level the playing field and start a company and offer these to the community at a reasonable price and make it more accessible to students? Uh, now we are in six different community centers in North Toronto. On a seasonal basis, we teach between 200 and 300 students, depending on the season. And then we also run summer camps. So primarily teaching kids technology programs like coding, game development, and robotics. You've been running this program for a long time now. What's your perception in terms of how children have evolved over time in terms of embracing technology and their appetite to learn about all of these new things? The age group that we are targeting, so from 6 to 6 to 12, 6 to 16, primarily are the younger students. And the perception of parents is actually in the earlier age groups is the one that makes the bigger difference because mm -hmm. kids don't know what they don't know, right? Mm -hmm. And so parents are the ones that are actually seeking out these types of programs. And definitely now it's way more top of mind for a lot of parents to be like STEM, 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 coding, coding, coding. Yeah, for and sure. Even if it's not a part of their elementary school or high school education, that extracurriculars are something that they, it's part of swimming as part of karate as part of, right. part of those programs so mm -hmm. seeing that transition for me personally is very fulfilling so amazing yeah. it's, it's a great story and do you have some examples where you've seen some of your students kind of go on to do interesting things are you able to kind of keep track or keep in touch with some of the folks that have gone through the program yeah some of them i've had one of the students that went on to actually found uh, his own company after he graduated from university Many different students that are now either pursuing their master's or their PhD degrees in engineering and then working at big tech, Microsoft, awesome. Google. And you met them and, at what age? You met them pretty early in their journey? Like eight or nine? Eight yeah. or nine. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing accomplishment. I actually had the opportunity to teach at McGill University an entrepreneurship class for right. about four semesters. And same thing, that probably is the most rewarding thing is to connect with students after that theme of either yourself coaching or teaching students or the team you're working with, or you having mentors and managers that have supported you seems to be a, a strong theme in your career. Have you proactively seeked opportunities to find coaches and mentors? And, you know, what do you feel the importance of having that type of support is in terms of you leveling up as an engineer and as an engineering lead yourself? Very critical. Our investors at Blackheart, they actually have this group of technical advisors that any of the portfolio companies have access to. And these technical mm -hmm. advisors are either prior technical co-founders, CTOs, or very experienced industry veterans. Being able to have uh, regular calls with them was a game changer for me, especially when I switched from engineering manager to being a, a CTO. One of the technical advisors, his name is Mike Montero. He's been very influential. I still have regular calls every month. We would call and I would be able to discuss very openly to what are some of the challenges that I am facing 
what are some, some of the challenges that I can see that are coming? Another valuable part is what are some questions that I should be asking that mm-hmm. I am not that at this stage of the company that you have seen mm-hmm. that I don't know yet, right? So right. the unknown unknowns, it's great to have his advice and also have that same advice from other advisors as well. Tapping into this technical advisor network has been a game changer for me. I'm looking to see if there's a way for me to give back as well. If there's any chance for me to, anyone who, who's listening to this podcast, happy to help. Maybe we can put some info at the bottom in the comments that will allow people to be able to connect with you. And I'm sure they can find you on LinkedIn and reach out and take you up on that offer. The Better Build is brought to you by Mission. Mission is an award-winning network of senior level software engineers and product builders, backed by a platform that helps engineers continue to learn, grow, and connect. To get your team of fully managed, fully remote, and fully flexible software engineers, or to join our community, visit us at mission.dev. It's amazing how having even just a small amount of time for someone who's been there and have, has had the experience can be game-changing because of, as you mentioned, these blind spots that we have when we're entering into a new phase of our career. Yeah, and I get, so I get about an hour of the time monthly. There's not a lot of information, especially in the seed stage and the series A stage of companies of CTO, at least like from my searches, what Mike, for example, was able to give me are, I'm facing this fire right now. What are some tactical things that we can do right now to Mm -hmm. fix it? But then Mm -hmm. also, what are the longer term solutions that we can start to implement? afterwards once this situation calms down. So I think that perspective of having been there, done that, gives me great perspective on how to fix it now Mm -hmm. and then fix it for good. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Having that opportunity to have these conversations with leaders who understand both the technical side and then the human management people side of things is, I'm sure, very powerful. Absolutely. Getting that perspective. Did you find that a lot of the value was related to the technical aspect or was it more about how to scale the team and the organization and really empower your people? It's really around the team. Earlier on, it was more about the technicals. As an engineering manager, I think the focus was whatever the scope of the product or the feature that I was building. But now it's about being one, an early employee. And also at the CTO level, it's about how can we leverage technology to accelerate the business? How do we actually build the business on this technology? And how can we build this quickly? How can we build this sustainably? Make sure that the team is at the same time productive, motivated, but also be able to see that the business is growing. So there are all kinds of factors that I hadn't considered earlier before becoming a CTO that now is coming into the picture and which I found the advice to be very useful. Can you talk a little bit about that dynamic in terms of transitioning from IC or even then to eng lead to then being more part of the executive suite and focusing holistically on the business? How would you define or express your relationship and your role as an executive versus a VP eng or an engineering lead? What's the dynamic between you and the rest of the executive team? I think the first thing is I have to be a business executive first and then a technical executive second. Don't know if this is actually controversial, but I think at the end of the day, 
the engineering team, the outputs or the products of the engineering team and the product team actually has to, at the end of the day, serve a business purpose. So we're not shipping code. We're not shipping product for the sake of shipping product. We're shipping code. We're shipping product because at the end of the day, it adds to our top line, bottom line for the business. It's having a broader perspective of how the business operates. What are the different levers that we can pull? How are we positioned in the marketplace? And how can we take it to the next level? It's something that I hadn't really thought about until I came to Black Cards. So that's the business side of things. On the technical level, it's about tooling. And it's mm. about hiring the right team to actually make this happen. These days, I'm doing less of the coding myself, but yep. more caring about the architecture. Are we setting up our technical architecture to support that feature down the road or immediately having that connection between the mm. business and the technical really is my role at the end of the day. Mm. Something that's new that I haven't done before is actually being on customer calls and actually being part of the deal closing steps, doing technical due diligence, security due diligence, and all those things. I think those are very interesting things that I got to do once I came to Blackheart. I think when I was an IC, I was very focused in my role as in product on the impact that I can have, the impact that my team can have. And it was a little bit more team centric. Mm -hmm. And yeah. sometimes we were very excited just to see what we believed could be impactful play out. And the business impact was almost like an afterthought sometimes earlier in my career. I took some time to start to realize that everything needs to tie up to a business impact. Why do you think it is that as an IC, there's less of this holistic picture or connection to business outcomes. It's actually a function of both environment, but also a function of time. And let me explain. So the environment, I think the OKR process is actually hmm. what will enable the IC to be able to then tie their work back up to the business. We do quarterly OKRs. So hopefully the translation from what the, the IC is doing on a day-to-day, -day, what they're shipping is relevant to the business and be able to demonstrate that impact. Uh, on the other side of it, I think it's a function of time and focus. So at my level, I just can't really have spent enough time to look into every single function that's been written, technical details have been written. So that's why I kind of zoom out a little bit more to be on the architecture level. So I'm not really in the weeds of things, whereas an IC, an engineer would be focusing on those things. I think there is a physical limit to how much complexity and how many things that you can actually keep into your head. From that perspective, it's natural that if the job requires the IC to be focused on this part of the system, it naturally would lose sight lose on yeah. other parts of the system or other parts of the business. But having said that, what we try to do is make mm -hmm. sure that most of our engineers are actually generalists in the sense mm -hmm. that they can traverse our system back and forth, front end, back end. And the way that we help with that is establishing different patterns so that even if they are asked to work on a different part of the system, if the patterns are the same, then at least they know where to look for things, where to look for information and how to figure things out. I think in my early days, just building something with a team and having that exist in the world was already a huge buzz. It was just like, wow, we made this thing happen. 
But then later in my career, very quickly, I realized that's nice, but if it really is going to have impact, you need other people to buy into it as well. So can definitely relate to that. Almost like shipping for the coolness factor versus shipping that actually has, at the end of the day, has a business impact or a user impact, right? Exactly. And so can you talk a little bit about that dynamic that you have between yourself and the rest of your executive team? It really feels like you're standing out there on your own. Who do you use as a thought partner? Our CEO, Donnie, is actually quite technical. I think he's more product than engineering. He's, he was the one that actually built the prototype. Uh, of Blackheart, and we were generating revenue by the time I joined. Blackheart as a business, there are different teams that I work with on a regular basis, and the executives that represent those teams. For example, we have what's called merchant success. So essentially, they are account managers for the merchants that sign a contract with us. And then we have customer success, which is shoppers who are now shopping on those partner merchants' websites and doing try-before-you-buy transactions. We have a sales and marketing team that reaches out to merchants and close contracts. We also have an operations lead who is working on uh, reporting, making sure that the numbers are correct and making sure that our financial reporting is all in sync. And so I do work with all the different executives of these different functions. I get all this information funneled into me. And then what I do is work with the product managers to figure out, hey, if we need to, let's say, insert this new feature into our roadmap, what are we going to take out? Why is this more important to do now? What is the business benefit? So just having that discussion on a regular basis uh, allows me to take all this information in and work, then take this back to my team and work with them on how do we actually support this. And in terms of my technical counterparts, I do have senior engineers I can bounce ideas off of. One of my most senior engineers, his name is Dane and he's been a godsend to the team. Very experienced and strong opinion on how to do things right. I can rely on him and I can be like, hey, Davey, we're trying to build this thing. Can you take this and run with it? And he's able to go off on his own, come back and we can discuss. I've been very fortunate to have a very strong team, technical talent, as well as collaborative business partners. Sounds like a great environment. One of the aspects that you talked about in terms of your role as CTO is building that environment in terms of putting the right people in place, putting the right architecture in place, putting the right tooling in place. Can you talk a little bit about that environment that you're developing for the engineering function at Blackheart? What are the areas that CTOs should think about when they're thinking about building this kind of holistic engineering culture? Mm -hmm. I think one of the blueprints, or at least the way I thought about it is, who are the people that I want to work with for a long, long, long time? Who are the, the personalities or the characteristics of these types of people? And making sure that you're asking some questions around those. For me personally, it's people who are open to discussion, open to debate, and making sure that we can help each other out whenever we need. Being collaborative, be helpful, that's very important to me as well. I think there's a little bit of a variable in terms of culture that depends on the stage of the company that you're at. Let's say you work for a more traditional organization in the tens of thousands of, of people. Probably not right for Black Card right now because we are 30 people. At this point in time, we do skew towards people that have worked in startups before, really similar size or even earlier, so that they know what it takes to be iterative, what it takes to 
change direction very, very quickly with very little guardrails in place. I do have some principles for engineering that I would like the team to stick to. Uh, as an example, uh, one of them is nobody gets woken up in the middle of the night because they had to fight a fire. So I think that actually informs many things. What does that mean? Well, it means that you should test your code as much as possible so that it's stable. Fires don't happen, but mm -hmm. you have to think about scalability in mind, even at a small scale. Can you do 2x the traffic? Can you do 3x the traffic? Those are things that you have to just like think about day in and day out. Having those types of principles in mind early on, having mm -hmm. conventions early on with the team and establish them as you build the code base, it's going in the direction that you want to go. And then at the end of the day, finding the right people that you like, that you could work with, that is right for the stage of the company, mm -hmm. I think uh, would be very important. Yeah. It's very insightful and echoes some of the conversations we've had internally and with other guests. People always start with the humans, with the team first in terms of the top priority and the thing that's going to have the most impact, finding the right people and then empowering those people and then giving them, like you said, guardrails or principles that they can understand how they'll operate within the organization. You actually said that you like to attract people who don't need a lot of guardrails, which is part of the principle, I guess. Some guardrails are necessary, of course. Uh, but I think for the most part, it's about figuring things out as we mm -hmm. go. Are there any more, I'll use the word technical, I don't know if it's the right word, but in terms of methodologies or management styles or frameworks that you found are helpful in terms of building that right engineering environment as well? I can think of one thing that we did, uh, I think had a pretty positive impact on the team. Sometime last year or the year before, I don't remember, we introduced this concept called Project Champion. So we have a product manager for a team, but we don't have a technical lead. So pick an engineer to be a technical lead for a certain project. And this is a temporary role. Mm -hmm. After this project, someone else would become a project champion. The project champion would then go to figure out this the right architecture, the engineering design, and actually break the things down into tasks, making sure that the rest of the team is working on the highest prioritized items. People really feel the ownership of having that responsibility and be proud that they have shipped a feature that mm -hmm. is of high quality, that performs mm -hmm. well. But also I think a byproduct of that is once you become a project champion, you actually become a better teammate in other projects because now you know what the project champion's needs are, which is very positive for us. Yeah, I love that. I haven't heard that process being in place, but I love the idea of kind of rotating it. And like you said, giving people an opportunity to live in the shoes of that role. And then that changes their perspective when they're no longer the lead in a sense. Yeah. And in fact, we actually have an intern. <laughs> that have been project championing some of our bigger features wow. as well. So at the end of the day, it's about having that autonomy and that ownership really inspires people to step up. That's an amazing opportunity for an intern, I'm sure, to get that exposure. So you mentioned at the beginning that through Waterloo, you did in several internships. Not all companies, especially startups, like to bring on interns because they do require more hand-holding and more coaching. Is that something that you feel 
you're kind of giving back to the community and accepting and bringing on interns. And was it because of your personal experience that you felt it was important to do that? Yeah, I absolutely do. And actually throughout my career, I've always had or the companies that I've worked at, they've always had an intern or a co-op program. So I can see what these students and do. And really, they are impressive. Um, I, I feel like they're much more impressive compared to when I was a co-op <laughs> student. So yeah, definitely love to give back. And I think most importantly, offering them the opportunity to try, try before you buy, try before you commit <laughs> to a certain career, yeah. try before you commit to a yeah. certain size of company, industry, different types of applications. That's important as a learning process. The try before you buy model works across <laughs> the multiple. That's very broad appeal, not just clothing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. I wanted to ask in terms of you know, not all CTOs necessarily oversee the product function. I've seen more and more airs shift to the product role. At Mission, we have a lot of engineers or all of our product leads were ex-CT or ex-engineers. And we find it's very helpful to have the engineering knowledge while playing the role of product. What's your perspective on that? Do you feel like you do have an advantage as a software engineer in that product role? Is it a requirement? Would you recommend to product managers who maybe are not technical to learn a little bit about how software works? Uh, okay, so before I answer this big disclaimer, I'm very new to this role. And so I am still learning, I'm still a newbie. I do think that having that technical knowledge is important uh, as a product manager. And this is something, it's, it's not so much that we're gonna ask the product manager to code. But it's more to have a sense of, at least like tactically today for black cards, the time to market is also a mm -hmm. factor in prioritization, whether that's important or not. Something that every feature should be measured against. And then that, lastly, being able to communicate to engineers. When engineers are telling you that this is something hard to do or maybe impossible to do, or it will take a really long time and they explain to you Hopefully the product manager is able to understand it, be able to appreciate it and work with the team to figure out what is an alternative, having that knowledge as well as the mental flexibility to do that. I think it's definitely an advantage. Yeah. Sometimes it does get in the way. So I think I, I need to be conscious about, okay, am I wearing the product hat versus when I'm wearing the engineering mm -hmm. hats? Right. So because you understand the inner workings, you maybe don't fully let go and think about just the solution versus how you'll get there. Just technically enough to understand, not enough to be dangerous, I guess. <laughs> Amazing. We talked a little bit about Blackheart. You want to share maybe a perspective in terms of what you guys are excited about. There's a lot of talk now about generative AI and chat GPT. We're in April, 2023. It's all the rage. You know, yeah. what things are catching your attention these days and you're excited about in terms of your opportunity at Blackheart and just in general as a technologist? Blackheart as a product, we offer charge buy programs for e-commerce merchants. If we look back at the secret sauce of brick and mortar retail, when you walk into a store, when you walk into a mall, their secret sauce is that you can touch, you can feel, you can put it on you, you can even smell it. 
before you mm. buy something. But with e-commerce, the consumer is really robbed of all those sensations, sensations right? Yeah. From there, when you are ready to buy, you have to basically buy everything up front, different mm. sizes, the different colors. Yep. Yep. So we're aiming to fix that for e-commerce. Our long-term vision is to create technology that really empowers the world to discover, try, and shop fearlessly every product that is sold online. We think that's a huge opportunity to hopefully one day become standard way that people will buy things online. I love that. I think every e-commerce experience should be that way, especially clothing and things that are very important to try and touch and feel. I love that vision. And then in terms of broader technology themes, anything that's exciting you these days or that you guys are working on at Blackheart that you can talk about? It's more around tooling right now that we are really focused on. GitHub Copilot is definitely very interesting. Yeah. I have used that myself. The suggestions are actually quite good in terms of code, autocomplete, and actually giving suggestions. Mm -hmm. Also see a candidate in an interview that actually uses Copilot to do mm -hmm. the interview. Overall, as a trend, that's very interesting. I am thinking about, can I use ChatGPT to actually write product specs? Can I use ChatGPT mm. to actually generate user stories? So that's mm. something that I'm looking into next. So we're very heads down focused on making sure that our merchants are getting value of their program, getting the information that they need, and the shoppers are happy doing Amazing. transactions. Doing Amazing. Amazing. Thanks, Matthew. I appreciate it. Definitely. I've said it earlier in the podcast, I can tell that you have been teaching for a long time and I'm sure you're a great manager. When you're explaining things, it's very clear and you break them down into nice bucket sizes of information that are easy to consume. I've given you a few small prompts in this conversation, but you've been able to run with them and really provide a lot of insight and knowledge. So I appreciate your time and definitely happy to have had you on the conversation. I appreciate the opportunity and love to chat more. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your preferred listening service. Stay connected with us on LinkedIn and visit our website, mission.dev, for more information on our network and platform. See you next episode.